Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Concussion Talk Podcast. I'm Nick Mercer. This is episode 56. Concussion Talk Podcast is presented by HeadCheck Health. HeadCheck Health bridges the gaps in concussion care through simple, powerful technology. To run organizations like the Canadian Football League, Track Factory Racing, the Canadian Junior Hockey League, Eastern Washington University, and Volleyball Canada, who rely on HeadCheck Health, to improve communication and optimize care. Visit HeadshakeHealth.com for more. For episode, for episode 56, I'm talking to Charlie Skinner and about attitude, brain injury, um, uh, attitude after brain injury, uh, post-concussion syndrome, uh, dysautonomia, and a host of other issues, and access rehab and, and brain injury awareness. But at first, I will get ask Charlie to Explain what happened to her her injury. How how that happened? Hi, thanks for having me, Nick. Um, no so I actually sustained my brain injury in September two thousand eighteen. So it's about a year and a half ago now. Um, I'm a very active person, but I actually got my injury in the bathroom. I fell in the bathroom and I hit my head on the edge of a glass shower screen. Quite quite strongly so um basically essentially quite a bad fall um I was at home but basically straight away I knew that something was wrong I was in a lot of pain I noticed that as soon as I opened my eyes after the fall I'd lost my vision and I wasn't able to really stand up or move around I was um, experiencing really severe dizziness and thought that I was going to pass out um so basically, I was taken to hospital with fears of a brain bleed, um, mainly in relation to the fact that I'd lost my vision. So I could still see, but I had um, really, really severe visual def- uh, deficiencies in terms of being able to see clearly, 
um, double vision, all that kind of thing. So that was the main concern initially at the hospital um, to check for brain bleed that may have affected my uh, visual uh, functionality and structural structural issues in my brain. Um, but I actually got taken quickly to have a CT and an MRI scan and was quite quite quickly discharged after those um, because there wasn't any evidence of any structural damage to my brain um, on that scale. Um, so one thing I think that's important to note with concussions is that um, there are there is some evidence of structural damage, but it doesn't show on MRI scans or CT scans, which are much sort of higher level for identifying things like brain bleeds. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mentioned concussion. And the reason why is because I was diagnosed with a concussion at the hospital and essentially discharged and told to rest until my symptoms passed, um, go home, rest, make sure that you don't do too much, uh, don't kind of interact cognitively with too much, kind of stay in a dark room, all that kind of thing, which is um, we now know, or I now know as well, is quite um, old-fashioned advice for yeah. um, concussion recovery. Um, so I unfortunately, um, it became evident after a number of weeks that I na fit into a category of prolonged concussion symptoms, which um, was diagnosed after about a month and a half as post-concussion syndrome. Um, this is something that I had absolutely no idea that existed. I have in my past, as have many people, I think, who have concussions. In fact, nearly anyone you talk to has probably experienced some level of concussion in their life. So I had experienced probably tens to twenties of concussions wow. over the previous years in sport, um, whether that was kind of skiing or sailing. I've been hit in the head by a boom before yeah. and, part and been knocked out and all of these things had happened over the years, but none of them had ever resulted in anything more than a couple of days of sickness or um, exhaustion, for example. Yeah. And so this was a whole new world for me. I, um, you know, I'd been kind of quickly dismissed out of hospital, told I had a concussion, which I perceived to be quite a minor thing. Um, but little did I know until it happened to me that it actually is a, uh, you know, it actually is classed as a brain injury. Yeah. Um, and the class of classification of concussion is more about the functionality of your brain rather than the structural um, aspect of your brain. And um, having been through this kind of uh, brain injury recovery since a year and a half ago and is still going through it, um, it's something that I is, you know, really important for me to uh, share my story and, and uh, help people understand that uh, concussion is, is, is can be very severe in terms of its effects as a brain injury um, and the functional aspects of your brain trying to navigate through the recovery um, of, from concussion when you have post-concussion syndrome is a very complex thing that can affect people for a uh, quite prolonged period of time. So, um, yeah, I uh, mean, basically... Yeah, that's, that, that's great. That's Sorry, do you, sorry, you want to add something else? No, I was just going to say okay. that um, I have a, I have a, you know, a, a lot to say about the different kinds of effects yeah. that concussion has had on me and others, um, and uh, I, we can go into that in a bit more detail yeah. in a minute. Well, it's just great. Yours, as, as you just alluded to, you're a, you're an adventurer, kind of a skier, a sailor, and and other any other sports that you played steadily, uh, frequently, like or just sailing, sailing and skiing, where obviously you take up a lot of time, but. Was there any other sports that you were involved with or 
Yeah, so as a kid, I was heavily involved in sports at school, contact sports and team sports. Um, I did also a lot of individual stuff, so anything from swimming to hockey. Yeah. Um, and But those kinds of, like, yeah, team sports that you play at school. And then as an adult, I've, um, I'd say skiing and sailing are my two biggest sports, sailing in the summer, skiing in the winter, um, both of which are pretty high impact, quite high demand. And I, um, I do them... I've, I've done a, a range of different types of sailing and types of skiing, but from, you know, um, inbound stuff to all sorts of kind of fun adventures like climbing yeah. mountains, skiing ah. down. Um, yeah. And I had actually previously um, experienced a concussion maybe just a year before the one, my, my recent one that, that caused me this post-concussion syndrome while I was skiing in a really bad fall. Um, but it didn't have anywhere near the same kind of effects immediately as this one had. Right. Okay, well, that's, that's kind of leads us into. I was going to ask you about the. It was just that you were. Uh, this, these, uh, these, these are skiing and skiing and sailing and any other sports you play, you used to do frequently. But uh, now they're, they're just different. There's more challenges to you. There's different. There are different challenges you find. You have to manage and symptoms of post concussion syndrome and uh, dysautonomia. Would you like to talk about your dysautonomia, your post concussion syndrome? And what's the Ehlers Ehlers Dunlop syndrome? Yeah. And uh, yeah. how exactly? Well, okay, well, first of all, what is Ehlers Dunlop syndrome, and uh, and what and what can Bill expect? Can Bill expect? What did you not what can Bill, What did you find happen to you with post concussion and dysautonomia and all these? How were? How did you meet the challenges that were that you faced? What kind yeah. of challenges do you face? So stuff? I think if I start with some of you, you have we're asking about some symptoms. So um, in terms of, I'll start with some of the symptoms and where it sort of led me to then get the access to medical um, support and professionals that then diagnosed me with the two conditions that I now have, or I have, I I have had, but wasn't aware that I had initially. Um, And so in terms of symptoms and the challenges that you face, I think um, there's a whole host of symptoms that you face, uh, sorry, symptoms that you face uh, after concussion. And when you have post-concussion syndrome, they go from, I mentioned, vision loss um, to balance issues, to feeling dizzy all the time, to having really severe nausea as a result of the combination of these different factors playing into one another. Um, fatigue is a really, really um, severe issue that a lot of people face uh, as a challenge with uh, concussion. And that is a kind of a fatigue that is is much more severe than it ever ever is with someone uh, who's healthy. I mean, I have experienced fatigue in the past from overdoing lots of activities, but ever since my brain injury, fatigue is a whole new thing um, that completely floors you um, to the point that you're basically dysfunctional. Um, so in terms of how that, those kinds of things, I mean, that's, that's a short list of many, I think, um, uh, in terms of the way these symptoms affected me and the challenges I faced initially, my ability to basically function completely deteriorated. So I was unable to communicate or converse with people for more than about 10 minutes at the time. Mm. And that's partly because cognition was a really, um, difficult thing for me to, uh, to be able to, I didn't have any cognition essentially. Um, so I wasn't really able to remember and recall information and I, my attention was in some really severe deficit. Um, it's hard to really carry on a conversation. Exactly. I mean, yeah. your, your body is just trying to 
function, let alone trying to do the additional things like the pleasure that humans have of communicating with one another. It's, yeah. it, that, that is seen as an extra thing that's not really needed when your brain yeah. is in that turmoil, I guess. Exactly. Um, and so uh, I didn't really have energy to even shower. I wasn't able to prepare food for myself. Um, let alone even think about doing anything else in my days. So I was really, really barred down to very basic function for a long period of time. Um, I mentioned balance as well, and that was quite a bad issue for me because I had quite severe vestibular dysfunction. So the vestibular system is the balance system for anyone listening to this who might not know what I'm referring to. Um, I know there are lots of acronyms and names for things that you become very familiar with when you have something, but for other people... Um, they might not know so um, yeah I had really bad balance issues and wasn't really able to walk in a straight line which was funny at times but also quite yeah not really ideal for for doing anything Um, so and quite a risk for falling and things like that um, which was the last thing I would want to do having already sustained a head injury Um, so yeah the the way that in terms of the challenges if you think about a a sort of so-called healthy brain with full functionality it works with default whereas a post-concussive brain like mine that was injured went right back to basic sort of survival mode which i think i was stuck in for a long period of time um i basically as a result of that lost my ability to be active and as we said that's quite a big part of my life prior to my injury um these kinds of symptoms that you're experiencing render you unable to sort of do much movement. And that links into a couple of the conditions that I discovered that I now have uh, as well. Um, So yeah, I I really wasn't able to do a lot. Um, But what I did in terms of facing those challenges was kind of, I got to a point after about a couple of months after my injury, when the advice from the doctors hadn't really worked the kind of advice to rest 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 get better it just it didn't work so I thought okay there's got to be something else that I can do there has to be there have to be other people in the world suffering from these issues who might be able to share um and and help me face the challenges um so I started to research which was quite difficult because my cognitive function was so low so you know looking at a computer was extremely difficult so I would kind of do it in five minute chunks and initially that would mean let's say 20 minutes per day of reading was all I could do and I slowly built that up but I, I started to research the kind of symptoms that I was experiencing and I saw a lot of familiarity with some of the issues that I felt that I had in terms of being active and getting up and about yeah um, and so the first thing I did was go to the doctor and really fight for some referrals to specialists um, I got access to various different specialists over the next sort of six months post injury. Um, the first two were vestibular specialists and okay. a neuropsychiatry specialist. Oh, so good. they were able to help me with my balance issues yeah. kind of from the outset, which was great. Um, that kind of helped to manage one of my quite severe symptoms that would then allow me to see um with a clearer picture what other symptoms I was dealing with, because there is a point at which you're dealing with so many symptoms that you can't differentiate between any of them. And finding the root cause of any of them is extremely difficult as a result of that. Um, So in some ways, having um, access to 
sort of multidisciplinary professionals really helps because you can, um, as well as siloing different issues, for example, balance, and then dealing with those, you can also see how they interrelate to one another. And so that was my biggest goal um, <laughs> while I was, you know, fully signed off work, yeah. trying to recover, was getting access to medical professionals who could help me with these things. So, yeah, I mentioned vestibular therapy. That was um, really important. And then neuropsychiatry was another thing that was really important because they helped me um, come to terms with the fact that I had experienced quite a severe injury that would affect my life very significantly. Yeah. Um, they helped me um, overcome the challenge of dealing with these daily difficulties and um, sort of a very difficult thing for people to do when you're in when you are so severely disabled is to accept where you are and to yeah. kind of you know accept that your condition is the way it is but there are certain things you can do to manage it that's a huge hurdle to overcome and I think ne the neuropsychiatry support that I had through um, cognitive behavioral therapy was huge in in that aspect of things and that was right. really really important for kind of getting uh, getting access to that near the beginning of my recovery was really important because otherwise I wouldn't have had the kind of mental capacity or strength to move forwards or deal with it with right. um, yeah. being essentially quite severely disabled for a prolonged period of time um, and then yeah. so you mentioned dysautonomia and that's another yeah you mentioned yeah sorry sorry you you were saying that because you used to be as as those who were saying a sailor and a skiers and adventure and uh, so how did you how did it uh, dysautonomia and and uh what's it Ehlers Danlos can you first just mention Ehlers what that is syndrome, yeah what is what is that yeah so basically um after I'd had access to these other therapies and other rehabilitation treatments it was quite clear that there were some underlying issues still going on um and so one of them was a nervous system dysfunction which is um what people refer to as dysautonomia okay. um so essentially, I, while I had other issues like balance and, and visual, visual issues, I also had uh, my body had gone into really high stress and trauma response mode after the brain injury. Um, and basically the kind of automatic functions that your body does, including things like blood pressure and heart rate regulation. So that relates to things like blood flow and oxygen flow to the brain and other organs. Um, temperature dysregulation, normal digestion, um, and hormone regulation don't function properly. Yeah. And no, it, I did actually did a podcast with Lauren Zayax, Phoenix Concussion, Phoenix Concussion Recovery Podcast, episode 10, which she talked about dysautonomia, the autonomia the whole time. So I'm familiar with the, uh, but what, temps, what temps, symptoms did you face? That yeah, you were so I faced all of the, um, all of those symptoms. And that, that's pressure. when it kind of, it kind of became clear to me that, and also the medical professionals that I was seeing at that point, um, in terms of the neurologist specialist that I was seeing, um, it became clear to me and them that there was still something underlying. And so I was diagnosed with um, dysautonomia. So basically yeah. I was I was having issues with all of these things. Yeah. And the main thing that, as I mentioned earlier, um, that was affected by that was my ability to be active. So yeah. a lot of the kind of, uh, blood flow issues, temperature regulation, digestion, all of those things affect your general bodily function. And I, um, but, but one of the really most 
significant symptoms for me was the heart rate dysregulation. Um, and as someone who was active as a sailor and a skier yeah, yeah. Um, and someone who that went to the gym a lot before my injury, it was um, the slightest movement would cause me really, really high heart rate peaks, nearly oh, yeah. to the I would nearly faint. Um, they'd make me feel really sick. I was unable, I, my heart rate would, would, would kind of go out of control. Would it fluctuate? It would, would it go up and down or would it just go up? It would go up and it would stay up even if I'd gone, you know, if I stood up, for example, or if I went for a yeah. walk initially. Yeah. So, yeah, my, my ability wow. to be active was really, really impeded by that. Um, and so, and essentially, I, after doing a lot of research and speaking with, with doctors, they explained to me that one of the kind of core things to treat dysautonomia is actually ironically exercise. So one of the things that is the most difficult thing that I've dealt with was not being able yeah. to be active, but at the same time, it was the thing that had to treat, treat it. So, um, I mean, I have over a year and a half worked really hard to return to exercise. Um, I went from walking for 10 minutes outside a day because that was the capacity I had to just recently it's, it's now, um, 18 months and I have just recently completed a, a Atlantic crossing. I sailed across the Atlantic nice, just geez. last week. I um, was skiing and I was able to sort of manage my days and climb some mountains and yeah, so uh, you're, you're in Georgia, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I Georgia. yeah. It's a great place for skiing. I would definitely recommend it to anyone. <laughs> it's Georgia, uh, Europe, not Georgia, the U S Georgia, yeah, Europe. Georgia next to next to Russia and Turkey. <laughs> Um, so yeah, in terms of how it affected my sort of passions and my daily life, it was very significant. Um, but it has, um, it, it took a lot of hard work, a lot of kind of adhering to exercise protocols so that you don't, um, overdo the line at which your symptoms, um, p threshold is so that you're not kind of booming and busting constantly so it took it did take me probably a year to figure that cycle out so it's, um, it was never it's never like as a turn okay i gotta sleep for this time i would have to take a break at 4 p.m whatever you would just can judge you'd have to judge yourself you know when you're feeling not good you have to take a break you have to eat something or rest or do whatever exactly, exactly. Okay. it's very much about the management and the looking at the overall picture when you're fully healthy you can kind of be like, you know, I feel like I want to exercise and you go and exercise and yeah. it doesn't really necessarily affect your day hugely in, in any way. Whereas for someone who's dealing with brain injury recovery, but also has an, another condition caused from it, um, the dysautonomia, it's a whole other host of management of your daily activity, how good you feel. Um, it's forgoing different types of activities and maybe also actually just forgoing that sometimes on the bad days fully forgoing the treatment and the rehab that you have to do because you need to fully rest. Yeah. Um, and so then you've uh, mentioned the EDS or Ehlers-Danlos yeah. syndrome. Yes. And it? this is another thing that relates um, into my recovery. Um, so over the, over the time that I was having various different types of tests done for my autonomic nervous system function, the doctor that I was seeing also identified that I had some symptoms that are related to um, this underlying disease, which is actually a, a genetic disease. Um, but it is actually more frequently being linked to people who have post-concussion syndrome and also yeah. dysautonomia. And the reason for that is because um, EDS is a disease of the connective tissue. And so basically it affects blood vessels, bone and skin. 
Um, and people who have EDS are more likely to experience high levels of pain, but they're also more likely to experience nervous system dysfunction because um, because of the various effects that the disease has on your body and the overall function of your body. So it was a very interesting thing for me to be diagnosed with these conditions um, because although they're long-term conditions, they provided a huge amount of clarity and validity to the reason that I was experiencing different symptoms. Um, they helped explain that essentially my um, injury combined with some underlying issues and the fact that my body had been so deconditioned from uh, such heavy stress and trauma response to everyday input um, kind of right. created this perfect storm um, mm. that it had to overcome and that I had to figure out how to deal with. <laughs> exactly. Um, this is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So yeah, no, I think uh, oh, sorry. the way they all li like link in is is something that I initially really could never have understood the extent to which it all makes sense. And I think that's something that um, is difficult when you're first overcoming and uh, dealing with recovery is that a lot of it doesn't make sense because you don't have the information. But once you do get the information and you get the access to different medical professionals that can provide advice and give a picture of, of the bigger picture of what you're dealing with. Um, it, it provides a huge amount of clarity and it helps you move forward in your recovery a lot more yeah. easily. Yeah, no, I mean, because one of the one of the things I 
reasons I contacted you, I wanted to, I wanted to speak to you, is about I think your attitude, your attitude is just it's incredible. And I just wanted to, because I think it's because now that, that she listened to you talk, that it's supposed to because you're so informed and know exactly what's going on and how information is power, really. And just and, uh, and I want to actually just mention that uh, I I watched a, a thing by a, a speech by Simon Sinek, and uh, he talks about nervousness versus excitedness. So about uh, how like how uh, athletes like Olympic athletes before a race they're all saying the journalists come to say are you nervous they say no I'm excited and uh, mm-hmm. uh, there's a link in my my in my description of this article to of this of this podcast to that video but um it's the same it's the thing like, that's just you trying to say you you gonna approach it with an attitude of just of interest or excitement or not of just not of fear. And you yeah. you haven't approached it you haven't approached us with an attitude of fear and maybe that's naturally from your uh, from your adventurous spirit but uh, but yeah but I mean it just it lends well to way you can see and know that you have to even if you have to you have just to come at these adventures and uh, working out more aggressively maybe it's not like you have to just take a break and and rest and you're not afraid of that afraid of that just. Taking, yeah. taking a step back and just yeah. saying, okay, today is not the day or this minute yeah. is not the minute. And, I uh, completely agree, yeah. I yeah, think so, information is, is, like, as you say, information has a huge amount of power yeah. to provide an individual with um, the tools. It empowers them to make decisions about what they're doing that are informed, but it also empowers them to understand what they're going through. Exactly. And that's a huge part of my journey. I think I initially had that fear that you're talking about. Um, uh, It wasn't a sense of excitement or a challenge. It was very much, I'm terrified that this is happening. Yeah, what am I going to do now? Yeah, what will I do? Will my life ever be the same? Um, Will I ever return to these things that I can do? And I genuinely at at one point thought that I never, ever would. Um, But as firstly, as things began to improve, but secondly, as I had access to, to the professionals and the information, um, that, that all fed into then uh, create the perfect recipe for recovery. And then I think a huge aspect of that, which is something I haven't talked about yet, is the community around brain injury recovery That's and the good. community around um, invisible illness and invisible disability that help create that kind of safe environment to allow you um, to to sort of gain from your recovery and to approach your recovery in not necessarily a positive way because I think um, the constant messaging that you have to think positive is not necessarily realistic. Exactly, but yeah. to approach it in a hopeful way and in a way yeah. that you're, um, you know, you accept the days way. that things aren't going well and you take that step back, but you know that if you do that, that will empower you and allow you to do things in the future that you probably wouldn't have been able to do if you didn't have that kind of probably that kind of approach but also the access to the information yeah uh, actually when i asked you about the uh you were saying you're saying it helps you understand information helps you understand what you're going through and uh you want to help people who maybe don't have the ability who range affect them in ways that they are not or early on they can't take their cognitive abilities are not there to understand the uh to really see they understand what this, their situation but that you want, you want to get out, reach out. You put a lot of effort now into reaching out to people who are in suffering yeah. from invisible illnesses or brain injury or, or any condition in the community involved. So, can you talk about how you are reaching or what you have to do? What you think is important for people reaching out to do this, 
to deal with invisible injuries and invisible uh, not really injuries illnesses and conditions really yeah absolutely i mean i think it's a huge part of what i'm trying to do now is um using the community that i found that initially helped me because i was initially kind of in the dark about what was going on and um until i had access to a community of other individuals who were actually going through the thing you're going through um it was very difficult to come to terms with it and to also feel as though you weren't alone or isolated um, which is a huge aspect of of recovering from a brain injury because you are so incapacitated. So not yeah. only are you incapacitated, but you also think that no one else is dealing with what you're dealing with. Yeah, Partly because um, the medical professionals don't necessarily share that with you. And so I um, benefited hugely from a community online um, initially because I didn't have the capacity to do anything in person. So through Instagram, for example, um, and people who blogged about their recovery, I started to discover different people who were, had already gone through or were at later stages of their recovery. And so first, the first thing that that community helped me do was access information um, that helped me do the research and go to my doctors with um, to ask them questions and all these kinds of things. Or, for example, even recommendations of specific doctors were the kinds of things that I could access from this community. And then as time's gone on um, and as I have gotten through my recovery and as I've been diagnosed with various conditions that are more long term and will affect me in the longer term, I've then shifted into a position where I'm trying to raise awareness, firstly, between friends and family and other people I, I come across um, who may not have been affected by illness or disability in their life. And so are probably just quite sheltered from it in a similar or way. I just that don't I know what they have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I yeah. And it, so it's helping people who it, either people who are actually going through the same kind of recovery or um, underlying issues or they may have a disability or they may have a chronic illness and they they're looking to kind of other people that can that can show solidarity or um understand what they're going through but there's also a huge class of people that have never had any um exposure to people like that in their lives and so there's a huge amount of work that needs to be done to raise awareness of the effects of disability and chronic illness on people individuals as well as society um, and that's a big part, I think, of, of the community, um, not only just the post-concussion syndrome community, but also the disability or the um, chronic illness community. And so that's a really big part of what I'm trying to get into now. Um, I've learned a huge amount. Um, I learn more every day from different things that people share and conversations that I have with people. And I think people can only benefit in the long run from better awareness and then they can then be in a position where they can be well informed and help to create more accessible environments, whether it's financially accessible, physically accessible, mentally accessible or spatially accessible. I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, but there is a lot of work that needs to be done for that. Yeah. And I think um, it, it's amazing to kind of be a part of that community and see the people who are doing that work and then also to try and to some extent do that work myself um yeah so yeah that's yeah no it's, I mean, it's very difficult because as you mentioned you're a raft of issue of challenges stemming from your brain drain your brain drain i have issues from coming from mine too but um people want to 
then but there's so many different issues that people face like because for example my one of my biggest issues is is bounce so i can't i need to need a rail to go upstairs and downstairs and things like mm -hmm. that but then there are people who are injured who, who can run and but just can't their cognitive abilities are limited and so it's hard to, you can't you don't there's nowhere to really meet in the middle meet that mm -hmm. i have a range i have a brain injury it's not the same thing to everybody to everybody they think they try to classify it and then people encourage them to classify it to find their niche to uh, to be like okay we'll come visit our group is uh it deals with mental issues and our, our group deals with balance issues and you think that you fit in one of the groups so you don't you they don't entirely fit in either one of those groups you fit in kind of uh you fit in like in the middle in both groups kind of semi in like yeah, a, so it's definitely really, yeah sorry, yeah i think that's a huge a really good point i think one of the biggest issues is that the way that disability is viewed is very binary yeah. um it's viewed as uh something that i think quite uh, bluntly often is viewed as something that's visual firstly that you can see that yeah. someone is disabled yeah. Um, I think brain injury is an interesting thing because it can affect you physically um, in a way that can be vis visible for people, but it can also yeah. in a very, very um, big way affect you in ways that aren't um, aren't visible, that, but are still physical. Um, yeah. And people have issues with understanding that you cannot look at someone and ever know what they may be dealing with, whether it's um, health wise or anything else. Um, and I think on, on the kind of disability or chronic um, illness or invisible injury spectrum, that can be very difficult for people to deal with. It's something that often causes um, it causes dismissal. I think um, people experience dismissal in the workplace in terms of the severity of the issues that or the symptoms that they're dealing with. I think in the medical sense that medical professionals can be quite dismissive sometimes if they're not aware of the invisible nature of your illness or your injury. Um, and I think the list kind of goes on and on and on. Um, but one of the biggest things is yeah, raising awareness of those invisible disabilities, but also acknowledging that if you have a brain injury, it affects every individually differently and as you said yeah. you know you have specific issues in terms of getting up and down the stairs as well as cognitive issues yeah. um i have issues that i still deal with a year and a half down the line and some of them are less severe than others um most of them are invisible um yeah but yeah different people have a, a different experience of all these things and and the more people can understand that it varies from person to person and that if someone is sort of saying that they have a disability to accept that and, and try and reach out to help people and provide support and provide um, ac accessible environments in all kinds of ways, then that can only help help things get better in the long run. Actually, on your, on your Instagram, I'll tell you, there was, you had a little quote about, about the uh, about uh, community to work and this, the, uh, the coronavirus, was that you? On... Yes, that was me. Yes, guess so I thought so. Yeah, yeah I, 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 it's, it was kind of highlighting the point that um, people with disabilities um, are frequently requesting accommodations, um, let's say, for, for years example, now. workplace. Yeah. And yeah. just um, that essentially uh, now that we're facing an issue that affects everyone, there's a lot more kind of focus on providing flexible working environments. And that's something that d disabled people, um, sort of irrelevant of the context of, let's say, yeah. current health 
emergency yeah, in the world yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. that disabled people face every single day and are constantly battling to try and yeah. get access to flexible working environments, to remote working environments um, and uh, to accommodations that allow them yeah. to actually kind of contribute um, to a job in the full in their full capacity. Um, yeah, the so, understanding of the understanding of society in general, of what of what it means to be have a because people don't see it. Like you said, it's invisible injury, so people don't see it. They don't believe you have it. Think you're just being lazy or just too tired to come to work or couldn't be bothered or whatever. But if you have an actual invisible injury, like brain drain, you're and you're mentally or physically unable to get to work or or just inter interact with society as as normal as everyone else would, then you're it's not looked upon this as well as as well as it should be really. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, yeah, um, well, actually, well, I hope I didn't miss anything in this discussion. But uh, for before, uh, if I did, you can you can bring it up now because I'm gonna ask you first of all, not first of all, I'm gonna ask you uh, last of all, I'm gonna ask you to talk about your uh, you crossed the Atlantic. You said. You sailed across the Atlantic, and you wrapped yes. up earlier. And uh, I'm reading their headway.org.uk article. It's a great article by that you you wrote or you entered you were interviewed for. Um, you wanted to go across Pacific because the dream of yours as well. But uh, yep. can you talk about the uh, the crossing of the Atlantic and when was it and and where where to where and all yep. that and just the the fun stuff that that is. And if I did again, if I did forget anything. To mention anything, or do you want to bring anything up that I did not bring up, then please go for it. But of course, well, I mean, so yeah, I crossed the Atlantic. I sailed across the Atlantic in December 2019, so only a few months, a couple of months ago now. Okay, so um, well after, well after your brain, your brain injury. Yeah, during, so it was well after my brain injury. It was the first time that I've ever done anything of that scale um, on a did on a sail. Did you do it alone? Did I did it, it with actually I did it with four other people um okay. with my family and two other very close friends okay. um it was interesting because I had it was a goal of mine to do and to be able to join yeah. this um crossing but I was absolutely terrified to do it because I thought that my brain would me back I was yeah it was that we talk about that fear turning into excitement <laughs> so what initially happened was I, I I was extremely scared to go because yeah. um I thought that my brain injury symptoms and the kind of management of my daily um condition and all that kind of thing would kind of be an obstacle basically to I doing see, it I, I thought that it first, might actually you, make me worse um can, can you can you mention what what you did like what what exact what symptoms do you find bird you deal with across yeah, the so in terms of the the crossing, the most the mo things I was most worried about, but um, fortunately managed to deal with, were firstly my balance issues. Um, yeah, so uh, my yeah. balance combined with my visual deficiency cause quite a quite a severe level of sickness and nausea and dizziness that can oh, be. Yeah. Once it gets to a certain point, it's very difficult to to get it back to a baseline. And so my right. biggest worry was that I would going to get on the boat. And that I, having never been seasick in my life before, would basically have uh, be really ill the whole time and not be able yeah. to do anything or enjoy yeah. it or contribute. Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, I didn't have that issue. And I think that mm. is hugely down to one of the therapies I mentioned earlier, which was the fact that I had access to a comprehensive vestibular 
therapy program that was a nice. weekly intensive program for about three months before I did the crossing. Oh, so you prepared for that? Yeah. So I did loads of exercises um, Good. day in, day out um, to get myself to a point where I could walk in a straight line without falling over. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but actually where I could be more active and do more dynamic things and my body would be able to my brain and my body would be able to kind of predict what, how to react to certain situations so that when I would cross the Atlantic, it would become a bit more like second nature rather than working really hard. So that was one of them. And then the other one was, um, sleep, which is a, obviously, I mean, you, you know, yeah. and many others who maybe may listen to this, yeah. um, know that sleep is a, is one of the most core important things for recovery and for managing, uh, a kind of baseline of, of, functionality um when you're recovering from a brain injury it's the only time that your brain can fully shut down and kind of get back to square one i guess after the day and i was really concerned that my sleep would be um hindered by the rocking of the boat and all these kinds of things and you know when you're out in the middle of the ocean it's very noisy um the boat's moving around there's lots of things crashing about there's big waves all these kinds of things so i was really concerned about that as well um again but exciting though yeah very exciting so i mean <laughs> fortunately the crew that i was with were partly part my family and then others close friends that i did not i felt very comfortable kind of being open about what the issues that i would have would be and they yeah. were really i think that like it comes down to that communication that if you communicate with people what your difficulties are they'll do everything they can to help and so we made sure that we there was kind of um it, it, once we got into the routine we got into it but we put a routine together that worked for everyone including me um to allow me to sleep and to allow me to take rests when i needed to um and to allow me to you know make sure that i'm taking my medicine at the right time and all these kinds of things um so there are a few you know i, I i'm talking about kind of practical measures that i had to put in place to make sure that the crossing went well but overall as you say it was a huge adventure it was one of the most epic things i've ever done um i really want to do it again i'd love to sail the pacific um, I have all these plans for the future to nice. do it on my own boat. Um, and I think the kind of message that I would say to people coming out of that is, um, obviously there are things to do with your health condition that may affect your ability to do these things. And I'm not saying that everyone has the access or the ability to do something like cross the Atlantic, but I did have the fear that was very much in place and once I was overcame that and I figured that I could figured out a way that to manage my approach to the adventure and to the crossing um, everything became a lot easier and it just became a really big adventure rather than something that I saw as an obstacle um, that would be something that I might miss out on and I'd be very sad if I'd missed out on it so I think that was definitely a turning point in approaching it in that way and then having done that I now feel, you know, wow, I did that. What else could I do? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and I think that's the case for anyone when you do something fun and exciting that's, yeah, a big challenge. Um, it creates that it creates that little fire where you're kind of like, oh, you know, that was fun. What, what's next? Yeah, uh, yeah. If I can do that, then, then what's something we do with this? Exactly. Yeah. So I think... Um, yeah if if anyone who has post-concussion syndrome um there are days when you feel that you can't do and you never will do things again but i uh, it's been you know a year and a half which 
in the grand scheme of things isn't much but um as as time goes and when you're experiencing it it, it, it feels like forever but the more you work on things and the more access you get to rehab and the more um, you work with people around you, whether it's close people who can help you and support you or whether it's people in general in the kind of, you know, in, at work or in your sphere of, of, of contacts that you work with people to kind of communicate and get also get the access to the support and the medical care that you need. Um, then you will only hopefully improve and you will learn to live with the kinds of um, underlying conditions that you may, you know, you may have to deal with for the rest of your life, but you, you, you're able to learn how to deal with them and everything becomes a lot easier. And then you, you create that space for doing more exciting things um, without worrying what your health might do to affect it. That's an excellent message. Thank you so much, Todd. So I think everyone can really... We take from that uh, from that from that message. That was great. So, uh, is there anything anything you any how let's start this way? Because you said all, I think hopefully hopefully you said everything you you went out to say. But um, how can people reach reach you or find you? I know on Instagram, but is there another way people can reach you? Or yeah, so where I can think, they... um, the, I'm I'm slowly but surely doing more to. Um, get different ways to access people and get people to contact me I think the best way to reach me is definitely at the moment Instagram and my um, Instagram is at Charlie Ski um, and you can see from my name how I spell Charlie um, uh, and basically C-H-R-L-Y C-H-R-L-Y yeah, no E on the end of Charlie I did no, at one no. point have an E on the end but not anymore <laughs> no, he's... probably Char- in like some you're, you're Charlotte you're Charlotte right <laughs> But um, yeah, so that's a good way to reach me. I also have Facebook and since um, various different communications that I've had with different people, whether it's the Headway article or other thing, talks that I'm doing, um, Facebook is a good way to reach me as well. And I have the same name on Facebook. Um, but yeah, I think that's the best way. And I welcome anyone that reaches out. I have been that person that reaches out to people and I still do reach out to people. So I think that we can all benefit each other from that contact and creating the community or making it bigger. Well, thank you. That was great. And I uh, hope you actually stick around. I'm going to start recording soon, but I hope you stick around because uh, once I do it, at least just to talk to you for a few seconds, but um, I'm going to start recording now. And thank you again for, for being part of this podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you all for listening. Please visit my website at concussiontalk.com and please follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at Concussion Talk and on Patreon, patreon.com slash concussion talk. I hope you listen again soon. As always, music at the beginning of this podcast is by Ben Sound, www.bensound.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods, for 50 to 80% less in similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.